This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee. Here we go. They go side by side into three. Coming for the line. Coming for the flag. Hornets has got a by but Barron now punches ahead. The IndyCar season may be over, but several of their drivers competed in the IMSA finale this past weekend in an event that seems to always deliver drama. It also allowed me a chance to learn a few things on the IndyCar front. We'll share what we know and what we don't know. And the off-season news continues to flow. We'll get into it tonight in a condensed one-hour edition of the show. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us. 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Josh Mullenix is in our studios on Monument Circle. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, you're welcome to join in anytime with thoughts, comments, questions at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, Petit Le Mans from this past weekend coming up in a little bit. But what I would say is this to start off, you know, you would think a 10-hour race might get a little bit processional and you run the risk of somebody winning by two laps and no fight at the end, but every year it seems to really deliver. So I would just say this, put this on your list, potentially go to, or at least carve out a little bit of a time, you know, maybe it's just on Sunday watching on the DVR, but that last hour uh, has always been really, really good. And part of it is just that unknown of night racing. And, you know, when somebody makes a pass, you're not sure who it is. And we, the broadcasters, you, the fan, have to figure it out a little bit and it just seems to add to the drama but there was plenty of it and some um some people that we know that weren't very happy chip ganassi likes winners chip ganassi does not like teammates crashing teammates uh in the final hour when they've got a chance to win the race not to mention what are they running one two or or uh or at least contending for the win so it yep. was um you would think that Chip Ganassi had had enough drama for one season with Alex Pelot's <laughs> situation, but he's got uh, a couple cars in the wall. And I appreciated the fact that that you acknowledged that even broadcasters were struggling to keep track of which car was which, because when the two cars went into the barrier, there was a pause of which cars is. I mean, I couldn't figure it out. Sure. <laughs> and uh, of course, you guys were struggling as well because it's nighttime. And you have to wait till you can see the car number uh, illuminated. So it was great drama, and you know I'm I'm I followed your advice. Uh, I like the last hour of of these endurance races. Uh, not to say that the other hours aren't aren't enjoyable, but the last hour is particularly good, even at Daytona. And I think it reflects motorsports as a whole. You know, IndyCar racing used to be such that. You know, you didn't really have to watch the last few laps to know who was going to win. I'm talking 20, 30 years ago. You could just kind of, you know, somebody would be out in front or there might be two cars on the lead lap, you know, with with 30 to go. But uh, that's not the case these days. And it's not the case in sports car racing either. I, I started following sports car racing more closely 15 years or so ago because the IndyCar season is too short. I wanted more of it. And if you are a hardcore IndyCar fan, if you watch an IMSA race, 
you will know the names of at least a third of the people that are driving. They've either, they're either current IndyCar drivers, uh, especially when we're talking about the endurance races, you know, like Daytona, Sebring, or Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta, because they, they add an extra driver or two in the case of Daytona, or they are drivers that were previously in IndyCar or maybe didn't quite make it, road to Indy drivers. And in this case, you know, now uh, teams are figuring out, hey, these road to Indy kids are really fast and they're silver rated. And that's the, you know, sports car racing, frankly, is very difficult to understand. But, you know, part of it is the rating system. And to be a, quote, amateur driver, you're really kind of a pro driver, but you just haven't accumulated the resume. And it's easier for a 17, 18, or 19-year-old in Indy Pro 2000 or Indy Lights to still be considered a, quote, silver driver. And that's part of it. If you can find what they call sneaky silvers, meaning somebody that's really good, then that's the advantage because that's what separates some of the teams, like in the LMP3 and GTD class, where they cannot be all pro drivers. You know, and speaking of the dark, the end of the race last year, when Ricky Taylor tried to make a pass in one of the final corners, went off, rolled through the grass, came back on the track, and nobody could tell who was leading the race until we saw it come up on timing and scoring. So good stuff there. Uh, Michael Shanks, uh, blessings continue. He won the Rolex 24. He won Petit Le Mans, and he wins the championship as well for Meyer Shank Racing. So Elio Castroneves technically isn't part of the championship team because he only did the endurance races, but he helped them win. The only two races they won all year, the Rolex 24 and the season-ending Petit Le Mans, and that went down to the final five minutes as well with Wayne Taylor Racing's Acura program as well. So we'll get into what we learned from that coming up and some of the other IndyCar-related names that had uh, a good weekend as well. So as we we still don't have all the seats settled for 2023, I guess we'll just start, though, tonight with 2024 because racer.com and Marshall Pruitt reported today that we can now cross Colton Herta off that list. Well, he re-signs or does a new multi-year deal. Uh, I I'm convinced that they just needed to pay him more. <laughs> so they, they worked out a deal and, and uh, we don't have all the terms of the contract, but it does seem like he can continue as racer reported, continue with his McLaren testing program and he will, uh, he will at least be in the Andretti 26 seat uh, in 2023, and we would presume 24. The other element is that uh, he can go with, with Michael Andretti and the Andretti bunch into Formula One if and when that gets approved, and assuming he has super license points to do so. So it was a, it's, a, it's still a, a developing story. I don't think we know the full extent of it but because uh, we don't know how – you know, a year from now, it's going to look relative to Andretti's bid to be in Formula One and Colton's ability to earn super license points and what exactly the testing looks like from McLaren's side of things relative to Colton. But it's a it's another step in the direction of figuring out 2024, but I don't think we have a clear picture yet, even with that seat. I think this makes sense from both sides in part because already one of the seats that say six months ago, someone like a Colton Herta could have been targeting is almost certainly gone. Six months ago, I think a lot of people, maybe even Will Power himself, thought that, yeah, 2023 is probably my last year 
and I might be replaced at Team Penske. Uh, maybe he needs to go back further than that. But but I think as late as late 21, Will Power probably didn't have a great idea of whether he would be back in 2024 and that Team Penske might be looking for the next thing. And if they were to go look for someone, I would think it would start with Colton Herta. If not start, he's going to be on the short list. Now that Powers won a championship and Roger Penske had already spoken about working on an extension, I don't think there's any doubt that Will Power is going to, to be in that seat in 2024. Who knows if it's a one-year, a two-year, whatever, but that's not open. Scott McLaughlin's not going anywhere. He signed an extension. Joseph Newgarden's not going anywhere. So the only other, quote, premier seat we'll get to in a moment could potentially be at Ganassi. So if Alex Pillow is allowed to move on, uh, after 23, then that seat could be open. But the Penske seat isn't there, so that's one less opportunity. And for Colton, you know, I think everybody feels comfortable where they're at. Uh, there are a lot of things there, and they are willing to give him some stability and also work with him on some other things. And from the Andretti standpoint, I would think not only – making sure if he's an IndyCar, he's with your team is one thing. Another would be they ran the risk of losing him entirely. There may be a clause in this that says if Colton Herta wants to go to Formula One, we have the right of refusal. You know, for example, if Andretti does get a, a program together for 2024, then, hey, if we have a certain amount of time, he's our driver, not Alpha Tori not McLaren, not somebody else. So maybe that is a condition. And then what also benefits Colton is that he's allowed to continue, apparently, testing with McLaren. I don't know if that makes sense for McLaren or not to continue giving someone who's not going to be in your future testing dates. I would think you'd want to do that to um, incentivize others in your program, like Alex Pillow, like Pato Award. Uh, like others that they will dangle things to in the future. So as you said, we don't know a lot of details. We don't know if it's beyond 24, what kind of out clauses the word on this current contract was, is there was an out clause to go to formula one in any capacity. Maybe that's locked down a little bit. Maybe it's only for Andretti. I think what seems more likely though, is it's a right of first refusal. If we can get our stuff together and we get a, we get a team then you're our guy. If we don't, and somebody offers you something firm, then maybe they don't stand in his way. So uh, that's good there. Uh, so I think we can cross that one off. But another we can't solidify is a report from Chris Medlin at Racer that says Alex Pillow is expected to make his switch to Aero McLaren SP in 2024 once the agreement that keeps him in the 10 Chip Ganassi racing entry next year expires. But then the report goes on to be a little bit more vague. I don't know that this is 100% locked in. Um, the report goes on to say that Racer now understands that the agreement does not mean the end of Pelot's plans to move to McLaren, but instead only delays his likely switch until 2024. Until then, he will maintain links with McLaren through a Formula One testing program part of which led him to making his testing debut in a 2021 F1 car in Barcelona last month. So I think that makes sense, but I don't know that I would declare anything 100% settled in that case. I, I still don't know. Other people think, 
Now, maybe this was negotiated in this recent agreement. If there was a clause tying him to Ganassi in 2024, was that amended? And we don't even know if it was ever even in there, but that's just kind of been a rumor. Yeah, I think that's that's where I stand on this. We had been led to believe initially that it was just through 23. Then there was there was more uh, statements to the fact that that maybe Ganassi had an option in 24 on Alex Pillow. Maybe that got clarified in the the new deal that they put together. But again, I I leave this report with some. I mean, I have I have confidence that it was written in in the spirit of good journalism, but I don't see anything there that tells me this is a done deal the way it's written. You does that make sense? I just don't yeah. I don't feel uh there's too many couch words in there, uh vague words, uh likely, those kind of words that lead me to believe that uh Chip Ganassi's uh point of view has not been confirmed. Because Ultimately, I think Chip is the one that's going to have to confirm this deal the way it is based on what we've seen over the last three or four months that Polo can leak or the story can leak. But until Chip confirms that uh, or Alex, I suppose, confirms that he's out after 23, I I stand a little cautious. And and here's why. And and Chris is and you know him better than I do, but he's an excellent reporter. He's really, really good. But also just start to think about where the sourcing is coming from. It's coming from the Formula One side. He's a Formula One reporter. Chip Ganassi's not talking to anybody, right? So Right. Wait, he's Chip, not talking Chip, to Chris Medlin. I don't think he's talking to anyone on the IndyCar side about what's going on. I don't know of any reporter that's really gotten anything firm from Chip Ganassi or the Ganassi camp. It's all been second, third-hand type of situations. So the sourcing on this might be Zach Brown. It might be someone in Alex Pillow's camp. It's and, and and maybe it is someone that they found. Maybe it's the managers involved. But here's why I say this. The managers and the people involved this summer said that Alex Pillow was a free agent and was able to leave. So I'm not trusting these people at this point, right? Because well, they were I- wrong last time. Yeah, Chip Chip seems to be the one that was right uh, on this past story. So I'm going to defer until we've heard it from Chip. And I don't fault Chris for writing that because if, for example, his source is the team owner and someone in the driver camp, you know, normally wouldn't that be enough to write something? And he he couches it properly. He doesn't say it's going to happen. It's definitively going to happen. It's just kind of headed in that direction. So you're still kind of trusting unless they're showing you all the contracts and you're getting attorneys involved into what's going to be. Now, the more interesting part of this is, and it's something, and in fact, uh, I won't say the name because he probably doesn't want his name, but a listener has sent me direct messages a couple of times that said, hey, uh, Errol McLaren is gearing up to be a four-car IndyCar team. That new shop has room for four cars, and that's the plan. Uh, I think he told me this six months ago before any of this ever started and reminded me again this summer during the Polo shenanigans, and sounds like there's something to this. Uh, Chris Medlin writes, despite Rosenquist's future only being resolved after Pelot was confirmed to be staying with Ganassi for 23, Pelot's 2024 switch does not necessarily mean that one of the team's current drivers will be replaced after next season either, 
with the potential that McLaren will expand to a four-car outfit for 2024 if engine supply allows. Yeah, I think the last part of that sentence is the key part, is if uh, Honda, or excuse me, if uh, Chevrolet has the engine to give them. Uh, so that that's an important detail. It can be done, but uh, I think if if they want to move toward four cars, ultimately that's what we're going to see. So good for Felix. Mm-hmm. And and the next best, you know, we talked about that before. What's what's the best case scenario for Felix? It might have been Colton Herta getting a super license, Alex Pillow being allowed to move to Arrow McLaren SP, and Felix Rosenquist taking the twenty six car, which I think was going to be their only option. But once Colton Herta was denied staying put, I think staying where he's at is probably the best case scenario for for Colton Herta uh, for for Felix Rosenquist right now and a best chance to show that he belongs. If he has another season as good as this year, potentially a little bit better, he'll be somewhere. He'll have a paid ride in 2024, and maybe it's right back with Ganassi. Maybe it's replacing the same thing we talked about this year, going to Alex Pelot's seat, or maybe it's staying in a four-car situation. By the way, good business by Zach Brown to float that out there because – you know, if you're trying to um, harbor a good situation, no driver wants to hear in October of 22 that, yeah, you're going to be out in 23. So whether true or not, that's probably good to float the potential of four cars. But that's why I mentioned that other situation that someone has told me, you know, that wouldn't be this is radio show banter. This wouldn't be something that a journalist could write. That's not good enough sourcing. I've not dug into the sourcing on that fact, but I just wanted to mention that, hey, I've heard that said before, that that's in the plans, and I don't think that would shock any of us that Errol McLaren continues to extend that program. So uh that's good on that part. And then we've got news from the front office staff today for Errol McLaren. They have uh I guess finalized what their management structure is going to look like with Taylor Kyle moving on to unannounced or undetermined location in 2023. Yeah, they've, you know, they, they discussed uh, Ryan Barnhart had a role at uh, Errol McLaren SP, but they had not defined it. He will be the general manager, Gavin Ward, who joined the operation during the 2022 season will be the racing director. So you've got leadership now has a clear path, you know, they all report to Zach Brown uh, in terms of of how the rest of the, you know, the rest of the of the structure works isn't really for us to know or care about. But Gavin Ward will be the racing director, Brian Barnhart, the general manager. A couple other minor details listed in their press release today. Felix Rosenquist will drive the number six car and Alexander Rossi will take the number seven. Uh, so. Essentially, Felix Rosenquist will have a new car number in 2023. Billy Vincent remains as Felix strategist, so he moves from the seven to the six. Uh, I don't know. That, I don't think it was in the release, but I've heard too many people tell me for too many months that Craig Hampson was going to be Rossi's engineer. Barnhart is going to be his strategist. Um, it's TBD on who Pato Awards strategist is on the number five car billy vincent uh has a new title director of competition nick snyder is the director of performance max naron is the director of operations 
Uh, some ask, well, why the change in the car number? So this was also one thing that I heard a few months ago, and I think it might have to do with views, the primary sponsor, and what they desired. For example, what if they wanted an American driver in that car? And one other scenario out there is it needed to be an American driver of a certain age with that product, which is what, essentially a smokeless tobacco. And it's a broad company. They have a lot of other things involved. It's a massive company. But it probably can't be, you know, a 21-year-old driver. There there may be you're trying to steer clear. It's kind of like the old tobacco restrictions in um, motorsport 15 years ago. Everyone wants to kind of steer clear and make sure that nobody says that you're marketing to the wrong individuals. I don't think nationality matters on that, but age might. Uh, so Felix is in the same age category as Rossi, so that wouldn't be a situation. So it might have been... Uh, nationality of the driver, or it might have just been simply, hey, Alexander Rossi's won the Indy 500. Uh, he's a formula, former Formula One driver. We are the number two sponsor with the program behind Arrow. So we get next choice of driver. And by the way, until three weeks ago, they didn't know if Felix Rosenquist was going to be a part of the program. So that all makes a lot of sense uh, as to why Rossi, because I'd been hearing he was going to be in the seven since right around Indy 500 time, that that's where that was going, but I didn't have that confirmed or on an authority. And, and really, it's not that big of a deal. Changing numbers within the car, nobody cares what the number is. They just want to know if they have a good ride, and all three of these drivers do have a good ride at this point. Uh, we've got some other things we need to uh, break down that have come about in the past couple of days, and then we'll start to look at what seats remain. We have We had another announcement for an IndyCar seat last week. We'll get into coming up in just a moment and plenty more on the way. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Alexander Rossi, and you're listening to Trackside. Thank you for staying with us at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. We will get to Twitter questions coming up in just a few minutes, maybe in a, a decently long segment coming up in just a little bit. Back to 7 o'clock, by the way, next week on Tuesday night. I think we are... Tuesdays for the foreseeable future and full two-hour programs. Hey, I uh, wanted to mention and wanted to thank Paul Page for joining me for one of our Burger Bash dinners to benefit the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center that we auctioned off back in in May. And I know another one I did benefiting Race for RP. Callum Eilat joined me at Prime 47 Indy Steakhouse downtown uh, a few weeks ago. And Paul joined us last I guess that was last Wednesday night. Had a fantastic time and heard some great stories. Paul's doing wonderful and uh, hoping that all is okay with his home and everyone else's homes in the state of Florida and our thoughts with all those that have been impacted down there over the past weekend as well. I uh, also wanted to mention before we get back into the meat of the program, I saw on Twitter today you post a story that you did with our friend Vitor Mira. A catching up with segment. So that was fantastic. I encourage everyone to check that out on, on IndyCar.com. One of the greatest racers that never won a race, but came awfully close many, many times. Yeah, it's it's uh, really amazing how many close calls he had. And I always thought his best one was at Texas Motor Speedway at the end of the 02 season when Sam Hornish and Elio Castroneves were going for the championship. And they were side-by-side side for the last, I don't know, five, ten laps. 
and Vitor was tucked right on their on their uh, on their back ends, and you know it was his third race of his career, and he just didn't want to overstep his bounds. Um, you know he was you know waiting for an opportunity. Had those two slipped, but uh, they stayed side by side as to protect their position, and Hornish edged Castroneves for the win and took the championship. Vitor settled for third, and and he would have like 14 other top three finishes, but never won a race. And despite some really close calls. And you told the story of a little girl and the story I remembered. I remembered from 10 or 15 years ago. And I just saw that little girl doing PR for Wayne Taylor racing. She works for CoForce, uh, mostly in the IMSA paddock, but she, she's worked in the IndyCar paddock before. Liz Van Osterberg is, uh, has been dating Kyle Kaiser for several years but but she's a little girl. Uh, yeah. I can't remember all the details of the story, but I remember something of that that got some notoriety. Yeah, she was a fifth grade student here in Indianapolis and just had gone to the Indy 500 with her parents and liked Vitor that year because he drove for Ray Hall and that was a very uh, colorful race car. And yeah. so it was fluorescent green with black and and maybe some other colors mixed in. And so she she uh, put his picture, uh, Vitor's picture, in a lanyard and showed it, held it up during the parade. And he saw it, gave her a thumbs up, and one thing led to another, and they became friends. And she made T-shirts. And then when he went to Panther, they made yellow T-shirts, which I think a lot of our fans will remember those eleven, those yellow T-shirts that had I Heart Vitor, mm-hmm. uh, really groundswell fandom, if you will. And... Um, yeah, it's it's you know it's impactful what uh, what that moment had on her life. Not only did she go on to study public relations and work in motorsports, but uh, but also meets and starts dating uh, Kyle Kaiser, a race car driver, and uh, they got engaged uh, recently in Portugal, and they'll be married soon. So a great okay. story. All right, let's. Um, well, maybe we'll just start next with the team that Kyle had his notoriety with that he won Rodindi championships with and bounced out McLaren and Fernando Alonso. Hunkos Hollinger has been all over social media for the last couple of weeks. And people are wondering is, and I mentioned his name, Augustine Canna, uh, Canapino, is he going to be their second driver announced? It just seemed like a little bit much to me to be teasing that much an announcement. And I didn't know if it was, teasing things because he was going to test and you're trying to stir up some more um, publicity to find more partners to come on and pay for it. And that might be part of it, but it's actually, it's deeper than that. And it's part of Ricardo Hunko's plan to bring IndyCar to his home country. So he's, he's been working to get a car to go to Argentina with and, and working through the hurdles that you have to go through, not just in Argentina, but also with IndyCar and and running a, a car because you just can't go, you can't go, t- you know, run a car and test it, you know, outside of the boundaries of the testing program. So he's going to take a car to Argentina and going to do an exhibition uh, run, if you will. First time an IndyCar has, has uh, I say moved, <laughs> been, been run it at uh, full speed uh, in Argentina in 51 years since Al Unser won the race down there. I believe in 1971, maybe. Mm -hmm. And so 
Uh, that's going to take place. I don't remember if they announced a date for that just yet. I think so they it's have several exhibitions. It's it's it says from November fourth through ninth, and I think they're going to go to multiple locations in part to kind of drum up interest and probably also to gauge interest. I know Ricardo has been trying to work with people in his home country to bring IndyCar there. And there have been conversations. I don't know how high of a level, but there have been conversations with IndyCar officials. So this could potentially be the next step for that. And it could be good for that team's business as well. Yeah. If they attract sponsors that help uh, them grow to a two car operation in 2023, uh, I still, you know, would expect it to be, I don't, I don't want to say, 50 50 but they they've got some work to do to get a second car ready to go but attracting some sponsors in this type of a format could be a way to, to kind of help solidify that i don't know whether canapino is qualified to be a good rookie driver or not um but you know part of this could help him join their program i i'm, I'm not equipped to say whether you know a touring car driver from argentina i know he's really really good is he ready for IndyCar? I don't know. Uh, we saw him, and I, my recollection is he did pretty well when he drove for Junkos in the top class at the Rolex 24 in 2019, but they weren't one of the stronger teams at the time, so I don't know that that gave us a good gauge. It's possible he's an Indy Lights candidate for that team. That might be the best scenario for him if he's not done ovals before to come over and get a taste, but maybe he's so good and they feel that strongly of him. I wouldn't count out him moving directly to IndyCar. That's one of the other nuggets of news. Uh, Ricardo is moving. I think we had talked about this, that this was expected and what got confirmed is he can basically take a lot of his crew because that was a challenge finding crew people. They're in short supply right now. So he's, moving his Indy Pro 2000 team up to Indy Lights, and then he's sold the equipment, and there, there are a lot of things going on in the road to Indy. I think Tim Neff bought his – I may be getting confused, but I know Tim Neff is starting a USF 2000 and an Indy Pro 2000 team, and I think he might have bought the Hunkos equipment for Indy Pro 2000. Um, but the second IndyCar seat for Hunkos Hollinger, that's one of those that is still very much in play. And there are several drivers, you know, and I think Ricardo has said there are about seven or eight drivers that he's considering. One theory is it goes to the highest bidder. Another is if they find someone they think is really talented, maybe they can talk Brad Hollinger into f helping fund that one as well. So I think there are some scenarios out there for that. And that's uh, up for debate. Uh, we did get a confirmation, I think, since we last spoke of one of the two A.J. Foyt racing drivers. And this was not a well-kept secret, but I couldn't 100% say that it was going to happen. I assumed it was. I thought it was. Uh, but he, even people directly involved had said, no, we haven't signed yet. There's still some details that we are going over at this point. But Benjamin Peterson is confirmed. A TBD car number. We do not know if it's the 4 or the 14, but of note, his program will be in Indianapolis. Well, that's interesting. Um, I have seen some activity when I was in Speedway last night around the Foyt shop, so did pick up some tidbits, but uh, they're uh, probably, you know, starting to put the final touches on their program for 2023. 
Uh, so we'll have to see how those shake out the next few days. I hear that's coming soon, but I don't know who the second driver is. I've still got lots of guesses. I talked to a lot of people about a lot of things. Uh, one of the, the drivers I will name, I spent 20 minutes with his manager, but never asked him about this because he probably would have told me, and then I wouldn't be able to tell anyone else. So I can continue uh, just guessing. But Stingray Rob would be one of those that I think, you know, as we've talked about last week, is looking to move and take the budget that he has to doing as much as he can in IndyCar. Uh, so he would be one of the possibilities. I would, I, I don't know. Well, I don't know because I don't know if he has a full budget, but maybe Foyt isn't requiring a full budget at this point. If they think highly of a driver, uh, maybe they do that. But if they're going to announce soon, which I'm hearing is going to happen, you know, I think if it's Stingray Rob, I think you'd probably, in, unless they're writing you a check for the full budget, I think you'd kind of want to see how they do in a test. And I know there's some testing coming up next week. So I'm going to throw out some other names in there like a Santino Ferrucci, who I think has some budget. Um, You know, I've heard about Ed Jones that he was going to come back, but that's kind of gone quiet. I think he's in that category that's still one of the six or seven for Hunkos Hollinger. So maybe he's in that camp. I saw Oliver ask you last weekend. I didn't get the sense that anything was imminent for him, but, you know, he's someone in that category. I don't know that Matt Brabham is close to anything Right now, I've heard a lot about an F2 driver who's won multiple times, Marcus Armstrong, and I think there's a decent chance that uh, he is going to find something going along. Uh, you know, Linus Lundquist, it would surprise me if Linus Lundquist signed with Foyt right now. My guess is he's going to hold out and hope something comes together at uh, Coin, or maybe that scenario where Carvana helps fund a fourth car for Jimmy Johnson and others. Maybe he can get in play for that. I think Dalton Kellett would still be a possibility in, in this regard. I think Marshall Pruitt wrote something with Dalton that you know, he's not certain where things stand. He's talked with him, but Dalton very much could be back in the mix. That may be kind of a, a mutual wait and see in both sides, seeing where things are going to go at this point. So there may be somebody that surprises me, but those are my best guesses that, that the name comes somewhere in that list. And then we have the coin situation as uncertainty. Uh, I think it is still uncertain with Takuma Sato. Uh, and I, I do believe there is a possibility that Takuma might be a part-time situation next year. Um, just kind of depending on where funding is. And, and maybe he's sharing a car with Linus Lundquist to go along with David Malukas, you know, if Jimmy doesn't run, if the 48 car doesn't run full time, then there could be a third car at coin. That's still the scenario there. Uh, I think there could be a third card at Carpenter racing. I'm hearing better conversations about where Beth Peretta is, is to run more races next year. And that's why I'll put Stingray Rob back in that category. If he's got partial budget, I'm wondering if that can be a combination of Ed Carpenter on the ovals, uh, Simona's in an extra car for the Indy 500 and doing a few others. And then another driver like a Lundquist with some budget or Stingray Rob or whoever in a car there, but maybe that's another full-time entry. Chevy is the one that is, has the ability to expand a bit. Honda is pretty 
set that unless it's something, quote, really special, then we're probably not going to add any entries. What am I leaving out? Well, I just was was consuming all those possibilities and thinking about, man, we still, for as much ground as we've covered over the last few months, there's still a lot of room to go here. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty contained to a, a couple of teams, but uh, you still have a lot of drama left in, in this next month probably to get things sorted out. So it's going to be fun to kind of watch it all sift out because, as you mentioned, you got six or seven drivers that you mentioned as kind of on just on the fringe here, plus the Simonas uh, and Linus Lundquist and, and a few others. So it's it's still a lot of fun to be had. And Ryan hunter Ray is out there looking. Sure. And, and, and when these full season seats get done, you know, it used to be you started talking about one-offs for the Indy 500 in February and March. If you don't have a seat in December, you may not get a seat. I, I think there is a great chance that there is nothing available or certainly no more than one available by the time we get to Christmas. I think because I right. think they're going to be 33. Uh, and a 34th would be, again, if Fernando Alonso in February says, I changed my mind. I'm running the Indy 500 again. Or Daniel Ricardo says he wants to run. Or Lewis, you know, something that's not going to happen. Lewis Hamilton is not going to run the Indy 500, but a name of that category. If someone figures out a way and they get all on the same page for Robert Wickens to do the Indy 500 by next year, you know, that's one that somebody would get behind. I don't know if they're anywhere close to that. I think Robbie would like to do that, but I don't know if it's going to happen as soon as 2023. But those are kind of the big things that would encourage someone to add an extra entry. Uh, Ryan said, maybe we'll get to now kind of what I learned and and gathered at uh, Petit Le Mans this weekend. It didn't sound very promising for Ryan for full time, and I'm not sure what's out there in IMSA at this point, because Ganassi is only doing one IMSA car. The other car is running in the world endurance championship. And this weekend I knew what those drivers are and now they've since been announced. And I think Scott Dixon wants to continue being the endurance driver for the IMSA car. So there potentially could be one seat for a fourth driver. If they run four. some teams only run three for the Rolex 24 And then the World Endurance Championship car for Alex Lynn and Earl Bamber is also going to run the Rolex 24. So Ganassi will have two cars there. So there could be a seat for Ryan in that car, assuming they're just running three. That's what a lot of the prototypes teams do. Um, I think he's got some Indy 500 conversations. I don't know. I didn't ask him about the Ganassi situation, just chatted just a little bit. And I was also just trying to get some intel that I could use for uh, the the IMSA broadcast that weekend as well. What else? So we've talked a lot about Juan Pablo Montoya. Uh, I got a tip last week that he might be headed to Ed Carpenter Racing instead of Errol McLaren SP. And my first response was, well, wait a minute. That would surprise me if Ed wants to be involved with the the hype and the attention that that's going to get. And I was reminded he ran Danica Patrick. So they're not afraid of, and, and they keep things pretty loose in that garage. So yeah, that, that probably was inaccurate to cross them off as the number one choice. So then I went to a pretty good source on where that stands. And I'm told it doesn't look very likely for Juan 
for next year's 500. I got the sense, though, that he'd like to do it, but isn't sure that there is an opportunity. And just like all these IndyCar seats, uh, it seems like Kyle Busch is likely going there. And maybe there maybe there was a bit of bidding. Maybe Ed, and, and Ed, if you're listening, feel free to text us uh, if you really were trying to get Kyle Busch or not. But if there was a bit of a bidding war, what I was told is Kyle probably wants to test an F1 car and they can throw that in the package so they can use it for this one as well. Uh, so that seems to still be headed in that direction. And as we've said, there's not a lot of seats out there, but if somebody wants to run an extra car for the Indy 500, I would just say, and you're a solid program, you might give JPM a call because even though he sounded like he was ready to move on last year, I think in the right situation, I get the sense that he would do the Indy 500 again. So are we to assume, I don't ask you to give up your source. You don't ask me to give up my sources, but was your source Juan Pablo Montoya? Oh, I have no idea. I have no <laughs> idea whether it was Juan Pablo Montoya or not. I did talk to Juan over the weekend, talked to his son, Sebastian, who, by the way, is very fast. There are a lot of kids fast there. The, the Road Dandy kids did well. Kristen Rasmussen was really quick, had the fastest lap of the race while he was in there. Nolan Siegel, uh, Kiffin Simpson, an Indy Lights driver, he won in class in in GTD. Um so, yeah, all, all the young guys that were over there, I'm, I'm probably forgetting some. Uh, Jared Andretti and Gabby Chavez won their class in LMP3. Oh, and this they're uh, going to be – I don't know that Gabby is, but I believe Jared is racing in an Andretti car with maybe right. Ryan Briscoe and Jeff Westfall this weekend. So the Indy 8-hour is coming up, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the big event, the eight-hour race. These are GT3 and GT4 cars, I believe. But a lot of GT3 cars, which are like the GTD cars, uh, so that's a cool event. If you look at this roster, if you follow sports car racing, you'll recognize a lot of these names. And then there are some names from our IndyCar world in the past or the Road to Indy. So it's a good event this weekend. I'm going to try to go out on Saturday. Yeah, you didn't say, but that's at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And the big event, the eight-hour event, is Saturday at noon. And, of course, an eight-hour event, it ends at 8 o'clock. So not quite dark. I mean, it will be dark. Uh, they will have lights on, and we've talked about the lights uh, being illuminated from the scoreboards. Uh, it will be dark at 8 o'clock. I finished up around a golf yesterday that about 7 o'clock, and by 8 o'clock it was dark, so I'm glad I was done. But uh, anyway, it's at the Speedway, and, and you can find out all the ticket information. It does vary by day uh, at IMS.com. Uh, I mentioned Nolan Siegel. He was confirmed today with HMD. That seemed to be a foregone conclusion. I would, I didn't ask him for a confirmation this weekend, but just, when are they going to announce your deal? He said, I don't know. Whenever they do, that's one of the eight car lineup at HMD Motorsports. So Josh Green, Christian Bogle, Daniel Frost have been confirmed there. Louis Foster and Hunter McElray at Andretti, Jagger Jones at Cape and I sort of confirmed Ernie Francis Jr. at Force Indy. I think there's probably a good chance that Force Indy is going to be one of those eight at HMD. So kind of include him in in that category. I don't know that 100%, but I also saw Roger Penske and Nathan Brown's story alluded to that possibility, and I heard some of the same intel as well. So I think that is likely to be happening, and we'll get more on Silly Season with Indy Lights as we move on, and we'll see what we missed and get to your Twitter questions next on Trackside. 
Okay, final segment. Uh, might sound a little bit different, maybe more echo, because I've been relegated to the basement, because maybe in the background you might hear show tunes. Uh, it's uh, a college application week, month, here in the Lee household, and, and Savannah is working on theater and musical scholarships and uh, has to, to do some demos tonight. She was really good in Legally Blonde over the weekend, and uh, I forget the character's name, because the only uh, musicals or plays I've ever seen I think she has been in, but she was good in that this weekend, and we look forward to seeing what happens there, and hopefully some scholarship money is coming. By the way, I, I sh should and haven't mentioned the other uh, child in the household. Jackson tested an Indy Pro 2000 car for the first time on Friday at Gingerman Raceway in Michigan, and I'm told it went really well. Uh, so even though, honestly, we understand he hasn't finished a USF 2000 season yet because we've run out of money each of the last two years, but wanted to give it a try and see how it worked with more power, more downforce, and he seemed very comfortable. So the next goal is to have him with some other cars at the big test at IMS coming up later this month and see how he does there. Also looking to pay for it. So small partnerships are available. We've got access to a suite that weekend, so we're working on some deals there if you know anybody that wants to uh, have primary branding for a small price for a test session at IMS to get some cool photo ops and come in and hang in on the suite with us and walk the pit lane well I've got the deal for you um, meanwhile some other real news going on uh, questions via Twitter Todd and Phoenix says any initial word on damage to the IndyCar course in St. Pete from Hurricane Ian I've not heard of any I think luckily that area I think got out a little better than some other areas did Shimmy Raikkonen asks if there's any news on if IndyCar is planning on releasing a docu-series or some type of marketing plan to increase viewing and attendance numbers. So I'm sure they have a marketing plan. That's always part of the marketing plan is do what you can to increase viewing and attendance numbers. As for a docu-series, and this all could be on the down low, but I'm not aware of anything imminent. If it is, it will be a surprise to me, but the last I heard, they weren't particularly close on anything, but it's possible that I'm wrong. Mike J at Tunnelhead said, enjoyed you on the IMSA broadcast. Thank you. Uh, do you know if there will be a fall IndyCar tire test at the Speedway this year? There was last October. I don't believe there is. Uh, I don't believe there's any changes planned. So what's going to be coming up now is they're working on 2024 hybrid testing. And I know there is supposed to be something, I think, next week at Sebring on that. But I'm not aware of anything at IMS this fall. There will be a test next April. Speaking of Sebring testing, along with the, the Hunkos car we talked about uh, testing Augustine Canapino, uh, Tom Blunquist. I talked with him. He is going to test, I think it's the 12th next week. Uh, he is one of the championship drivers at Meyer Shank Racing in the Acura DPI program. He's back there again next year. I asked Mike about this, and it's not just a reward or a publicity stunt or anything like that. It's a real evaluation, and we'll see. And if it goes as well as they think it will, he might be someone that you see on the radar coming up for potential IndyCar opportunities. Hey, maybe in 24, he and Elio just kind of swap roles, and Elio uh, moves back to full-time some Blumquist moves in. That's a long time away. And then finally, Josh Day says, listening uh, on trackside, talking about um, Errol McLaren going to four. I can't help but speculate on Herta in the fourth car if F1 doesn't pan out. You go back and listen to the beginning of the podcast. Um, 
and and I think maybe you missed that part, but uh, Racer reports that Herta has an extension that I think would keep him in Andretti and IndyCar into 24 and potentially beyond. So I doubt that's a possibility, but we'll see. We're over time. Thank you so much to Josh Molnix for Kirk Cavan, Kevin Lee. We'll see you next Tuesday night at 7 on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.